That is. Welcome once Ooh. again. Go Big 12, go or go home. I'm Brandon Shanahan, joined by Iowa broadcasting legend Drew Russell. Outstanding week of college football. We're here to talk about it, diving in on, on Big 12 play getting underway last week. So I'll tell you what, Drew, I'm feeling a little bit better about some of the teams that I was nervous about for, for the Big 12. Um, not not the best showing for the four new schools getting their their, uh, their initiation, I, I would say, into their uh, – their first conference games. Houston's getting theirs out of the way last week. Um, but how 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 did uh, how'd your weekend go? You know, good weekend uh, overall. Saw some great football. Cross college football was up in Ames to watch uh, Iowa State, which good win for the Cyclones over Oklahoma State. But a pretty interesting weekend uh, when you look at kind of the Big Twelve. You got you know multiple teams at four and zero in Texas and Oklahoma, but you also have a Kansas four and zero as well. So really fascinating start to the season. A lot of great games across all of college football throughout the weekend. Uh, Ryan Day and Lou Holtz is a rivalry I never knew I needed <laughs> till now. Uh, that's a different conference, but in terms of the Big Twelve, it was a very interesting weekend of football in which really we were able to see the home team find pretty good success in most of the games outside of road wins for Texas and Oklahoma. Yeah, I think, first of all, the, the Lou Holtz thing was very funny to me, especially, I mean, that's an emotional win. I mean, it's a yeah. walk-off touchdown on the goal line. Um, granted, you only had to get past 10 defenders as opposed to the typical 11. Mm. But to, to, for that to be like the first thing he's thinking about is Lou Holtz. I mean, I don't care what Lou Holtz said. Look, that is insane. It was just so out of the blue. Like, well, I, I had no idea it even happened. And I'm thinking, oh, he's going to be talking about how tough we are. I wasn't surprised about that Ohio versus everyone mentality. He's like, Lou Holtz. I got something to say. I'm like, what did Lou Holtz do? I didn't know. I thought Lou Holtz, to be honest, I thought Lou Holtz was dead. So, like, that was shocking to me. I was like, why is he bringing up Lou Holtz? <laughs> I, I just picture, like, 86-year-old Lou Holtz, like, in his in his big living room. He's got his TV on the fireplace. He's got, got his old man pajamas on. He's got his slippers. He's got a blanket to keep him cozy. You just watch the football game, like, oh, man, what a good game. Oh, man, Notre Dame lost. Bummer. I hate, did he just bring me up? Is he talking about me? Lou Holtz loves it. You know he like, <laughs> He just loves it. Like, like he has – like what? How does Ryan Day? That's the first thing he thinks of. I mean, such a big game too, and that's Kyle McCord was great. The the, the running right. game, it was tough. It was gritty. They they got after it. The, the new faces came in. Marvin Harrison Jr. thought that he may not finish the game. He came back and had a great night. And and Lou Holtz is is the first name that comes out of his mouth. It's it's incredible. Hey, and Lou Holtz had a response as well uh, yeah. earlier this week when he said. I can't wait to watch them play Penn State and play Michigan. They're going to get yeah. a real test. I'm like, my gosh, this man is just digging deep. He's doubling down. And he might be onto something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it was a missed chance for uh, Notre Dame. But, yeah, it's tough to win. We have 10 guys in the field for the last yeah. two plays. I, you, you know, and I have a, a best friend who, who's a Notre Dame fan. And the whole time, he's also very pessimistic just in general. But he kept talking about how bad the coaching was and how bad the play calling was. I'm like, this Ohio State's really good. The coaching's fine. Stop crying about it. And then at, at like 11 o'clock, I, I saw a, a clip pointing that out that you only had 10 guys on the field for the last two plays. And I thought, ah, oh, man, I hope he doesn't see that. And five minutes later, I get a text message. I'm like, ah, oh, shoot. Can't believe it. I well, mean, you know, I was, I almost was uh, crazy enough for a couple of Notre Dame fans I chatted with that I said, should we bring back Brian Kelly? I'm sure he can get rid of that Southern accent real quick <laughs> if he had to. You know, I, I will say this. I'm very impressed with, with Marcus Freeman. I mean, granted, yeah. he, he hasn't you know accomplished much yet, but to keep that program stable and now get to a point where you're able to go in the transfer portal, get a very sought-after quarterback, Wake Forest's all-time leading passer, mm -hmm. and Sam Hartman. And, you know, even though you, you can't pull off the win against Ohio State, Ohio State's been an S-tier football program for the last 10, 10 years. Yeah, I mean, so if you can even – Look like you're playing the same sport with them, especially compared to how they looked last year against mm -hmm. Ohio State. I mean, I'm 
way more impressed with the job that he's done than say you know a Brian Kelly who takes over a, a prominent school in a in a very hot recruiting bed. Yeah, you're dead right because Notre Dame. Look, they do have higher academic standards. They do have certain things to get into school, so recruiting can be a little bit more difficult. Brian Kelly cited that when he left uh, that he wanted less standards when it came to recruiting the best talent in America. And you're dead right. Marcus Freeman, his team have done an outstanding job of creating a lot of enthusiasm for that program for Notre Dame team that, you know, they've played in what one national championship game in this century. And they lost pretty convincingly over a decade ago to Alabama. So, you know, do give them the credit where it's deserved. And yet at the same time, be aware that in college football, oh man, that week-to-week basis is wild. And now he's going to be put under more of a microscope that it's another close game and there are enough guys on the field or if there's miscommunication between coaches and players or all that, that coaching staff is going to be under a more watchful eye going forward. So that's college football in a nutshell. Those type of mistakes, especially those big programs with pretty wild fan bases, Boy, they don't forget them for a long time. And they're not tolerated very often or very long. You know, and the the thing that kind of caught me off guard with, with that specific situation is that he mentioned, you know, he didn't want to rush a guy out there and get a penalty. The ball's on the one yard line. It's a foot and a half worth of penalty that you're giving yeah. up to fill a hole on the defensive line. There's one thing if you have like a, a safety or like an outside linebacker who may not provide like secondary coverage, but mm-hmm. if you're inside the one yard line, you got to at least have your defensive lineman. And yeah. I had someone point out, like, it's not just on the coach. It's like, if you're a linebacker and you don't see somebody in front of you where you typically do, it does, doesn't that draw some, some, some attention before, you know, it's too late per se. But I thought that was an interesting one. Like if there is ever going to be a situation where you want to give up a five yard penalty, it's when it's only worth a, a foot and a half. That's it what pretty, it, 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 And I'll add too, like, I think pretty stunning that a coach upstairs didn't see it for two consecutive yeah. plays. Like, Look, you and I have been in enough press boxes in our life, Brandon, that there's usually a coach Mm -hmm. at the high school level, any level that is up there, and they are counting, do we have enough guys on the field or do we have too many guys on the field that can work both ways? And the fact that that just didn't happen for Notre Dame, two plays in a row on the two most important plays of the game, is just straight up inexcusable. Um, So... Pretty wild ending, though. Uh, and I guess, uh, you know, if they had 11 guys out there, then shoot, I, I guess NBC should have gotten to Lou Holtz and his recliner somewhere in America because uh, I'm sure he would have one heck of a uh, statement about how weak Ryan Day is and Ohio State is. And uh, I would have been as uh, probably shocked or as entertained as I was uh, vice versa. I mean, there's, but there's like a, a 0% chance we ever know those Lou, Lou Holtz comments if they don't, if Notre Dame wins that game. Because, I mean, the, like you said, I didn't even know he said anything until Ryan Day brought it up. It was literally not new. Like, I, I mean, yeah, he did say it, but I thought, I guess I don't care. It wasn't that newsworthy. Yeah. So when he brought that up on national TV, I'm like, what is he talking about? And then, you, you know, you're naturally, you're like, well, check on your phone quick and you read the quotes. And you're like, it's Lou Holtz. Lou Holtz just, yeah. you know, you get a certain age, like, you just don't care anymore. I mean, Joe Namath this week just said Zach Wilson's a terrible starting quarterback and shouldn't be on the New York Jets. I thought Joe Namath's over 80 years old. He can say whatever he wants. Yeah. You reach an age, I feel like that filter, who cares? Yeah, it's it's and especially when it's a Notre Dame legend. Like it's not like it's uh, it's like a hard-hitting journalist who's, you know, trying to of, of course he's going to talk stuff about Ohio State. He's a Michigan guy or a Notre Dame guy. Yeah. I, I, that's just natural. I, I mean, I would hope you kind of rep your school yeah. in some way, but you know, I guess whatever it takes to, uh, you know, fire it up and Hey, it happened across all college football this week. I mean, you know, some teams are fighting for clicks and some teams are fighting for wins. I mean, how incredible was that? Dan Lanning's a first team, uh, first ballot hall of fame hater for that, for those comments. And especially like allowing the network cameras into the into the locker room before that speech, and uh and then they're just the shellacking it, the 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 backing it up of it all is just wow, chef's kiss, outstanding stuff. It was pretty humorous. I gotta hand it to the University of Oregon. That was creative, really, yeah. really clever. 
to market how they did that. They came out with a video too, and all this <laughs> stuff. Colorado players were saying out they're going to slack them, and I yeah. thought, man, this is this is this is what people want yeah. though. This is high quality content. That's why Absolutely. a lot of people um, look. It's why Colorado's fascinating. Dion's going to wear everything on his sleeve. And I think that's great. And it does create interest. And so people like those wars. They like the pettiness of when coaches or players go after each other. It makes the sport more fun. So, uh, but that, that that was the quote of the weekend. I don't care. That was uh, an all-timer. Without a doubt. And as a Nebraska fan, all the last few weeks in, and with that whole Colorado-Nebraska game, all I heard was Coach Prime talk about how personally he took that game because of uh, comments that Matt Rule had, had mentioned that weren't very disrespectful in, in a way. Like even compared to like Dan Lanning's comments earlier in the year where you talked about how Colorado hasn't done anything since joining the Pac-12. Why would we be bummed that they're leaving? That's way more personal than Matt Rule ever said. And then when Husker fans on online point that out, the swarm of, uh, of, of, of prime fans get, get in the comments and tell us to cry about it and, and this and that. And then just to, to see them on the other side of his, like, Oh, he's not, he's, no, there's no class there in Oregon. It's like, it is outstanding backpedaling going on there in Boulder. Yeah. You gotta, I mean, embrace it. Uh, and I mean, you know, prime prime did embrace it and, yeah. uh, you know, he had no problem with it, you know, and he took more of his own shot saying, be ready though. We're yeah. coming. So I'm like, this is, All I mean, right. this is good. It's part Let's of the motivation. So yeah, there's no backtrack. Like we're just going to play through it. So, yeah, it was a great weekend of uh, college football cross and, and the Big 12. Uh, some pretty interesting games throughout the, uh, throughout the weekend as well. Not a lot of close games, but still some interesting ones that were intriguing. Yeah, definitely seeing how some of these teams are, are kind of taking shape. You know, now that we're four games in a third of the way through the season, you really kind of grasp how these teams are, are really coming together as we kind of hit that, that middle third of the season. And so we'll, we'll just get started with the, the game that, that you were at, Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma State. I'll tell you what, Drew Russell, I, I'm not surprised that Iowa State won. I am a bit surprised in, in the manner in which they did. For sure, no. And I mean... Last week, I went on a nice little rant about how it was going to be a defensive struggle, and it shows how little I know about sports because it was an offensive uh, fireworks display in Ames. Iowa State passed the ball great. I mean, Rocco uh, Bright, I mean, played great football at 347 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, you know, running games still pretty non-existent, but we're able to show things here and there. Oklahoma State was absolutely listless against South Alabama the weekend before. Uh, their offense had a nice day. And Bowman was able to do some decent stuff with the two interceptions, including throwing the uh, game winning or the uh, game ending interception to uh, Tampa at Iowa State. That was kind of the difference in the game. But great game, big win for Iowa State, and kind of an interest. Again, we we're kind of saying you know for Mike Gundy for Oklahoma State, and then Campbell for Iowa State. Well, fan bases, you know, they love what these coaches have done for their programs, and yet it feels like there's a little bit of just uncertainty right now. They don't know what that future is for both those guys, or can they keep those programs to high pace? And for Campbell, is a big win. For Coach Gundy, kind of another one of those head-shaking losses of giving up 34 points to a team that was extremely limited offensively the last two weeks. Yeah, and it's interesting because when you, you talk about a team like Iowa State who isn't you know cracking the top five as far as recruiting rankings go or, or getting five-star guys in the portal, you typically see them want to run the ball well, be physical, because that's a lot easier to do than you know to kind of drop back and, and dice people up. But it seems like more than anything, they're passing to set up the run, which is uh, an interesting setup. I, I guess it fits on, on brand for, for Big 12 ball. But you know it's a little bit different of a of a situation when you go from uh, from uh, Brock Purdy to, to to Rocco, and I I love Rocco. I think he's done a great job. Um, and I'll also just give a lot of credit to Iowa State. I mean, coming into the season with the gambling scandals, mm -hmm. there was a lot of folks who didn't think they'd win a single Big Twelve game, mm -hmm. and I might be in that group. I, I'll have to double check my my listings, but I certainly didn't anticipate them beating Oklahoma State. Now, I also didn't anticipate Oklahoma State being as bad as they are. But overall, I'm I'm very impressed with, with Iowa State. Yeah, I give them a lot of credit. And, you know, defensively, they weren't at their best like they had been the first three games of the season on Saturday. The offense was able to come through. 
special teams wasn't even that bad either. Uh, got a couple big field goals as well. So, you know, for Iowa State, you know, go two and two. You're at Oklahoma this week, which is a pretty uh, vicious matchup overall. But, uh, you know, there you feel like you're playing with a little more confidence following a win. And even though find that win in Norman's going to be extremely difficult, um, you know, at least there's confidence in that locker room right now and give them credit where it's due. It does, in a way, kind of feel pretty on brand for Iowa State, how, how their season's gone, is that they have that big win against Northern Iowa, and you're like, all right, they, we're, we're doing great. This is great. The defense was great. Special teams looked vastly improved. And then uh, and then you lose to Iowa, that one, you know, a tough one. But then you lose again to Ohio, and you're like, all right, well, now it's over. And then you beat Oklahoma State, and oh, well, now we're back. It just feels like that, that typical roller coaster going on here for Iowa State. So I, I'm all here for it. I'm hey. all, all aboard the, the Campbell Express. Yeah, and what's interesting, too, this is only the third time in the last 20 years Iowa State started Big 12 play 1-0. So that was a really interesting statistic I heard uh, Saturday afternoon was, yeah, only a third time in the last 20 years they get that number. So, look, I know uh, non-conference wasn't very good. I'm not even saying this conference slate will go well, but, you know, nice to at least start that conference season with a 1-0 record and you know, try to build some positivity. And I know in that locker room, they're still looking for a bowl game and they're going to have some work to do. And for Oklahoma State, I don't know what to say right now. Uh, not a lot of energy on that sideline on Saturday. Um, I, I don't know where they're at. Uh, it seems they're kind of uh, treading water right now with Coach Gundy. And, you know, I think they're fine. You got to let them ride out that season. But there just does not seem to be enthusiasm in that program right now. And that is... In the world of college football, you got to have momentum almost always on a continuous basis. And it just does not feel like for a team uh, that's had so many great years under Coach Gundy, that's happening right now in terms of positive momentum for the program. And, you know, I mentioned this a little bit last week, but it's so important for the Big 12 to catch and for any teams in the Big 12 to capture, capture momentum now. Because with Oklahoma and Texas leaving, that, that's a huge power vacuum. It's like when the mob boss gets picked up off the streets, well, now who's going to fill fill his shoes? And not only do you have to compete with the other teams in the hateful eight who have been you, you know, uh, competing, Kansas State won the Big 12 last year, Baylor just a couple of years removed, TCU played for a national championship last year. But then you also add these, you know, a high-end group of five teams in BYU and Cincinnati won a national championship under coaching legend Scott Frost. Um, Cincinnati made the playoff um, and, and the American Conference. Um, and then BYU and Houston have had success here recently too. So now you have to compete with those guys. And then you add the four corner schools from, mm -hmm. from Utah and Colorado and the two Arizona schools who are also going to be kind of thinking like, hey, we can come in right away especially teams who are having success this year, Colorado, Utah, I think we can take over the, the Big 12. We can be the, the the team who's constantly winning championships there and constantly, you know, earning a spot in the playoff and then competing on that highest level. And it seems like Oklahoma State's going the opposite direction, which is which is very troublesome. And for a program that's been so stable, mm -hmm. you know, you, you might look at this as, as the time to start, you know, looking at other options. Yeah, it's a great, that's an excellent, excellent point, Brandon, because if you told me two years ago when Texas and OU announced they're leaving, which program in the Big 12, in my opinion, was in best position to have a lot of success in this new conference era, Oklahoma State, I think, is my top choice. And it's just because they do have a legitimate track record of success with a coach that has been incredibly successful at his alma mater. So it made complete sense that this team should on paper find that success and shoot at this time last year. It felt like they were on track, but they don't finish last year very strongly. They get a lot of transfers in the off season. They haven't admittedly have not adapted to the times as much as other teams and coach Gundy's on record, not, he said, we are going to do things how we've always done them, and that's found success. And the question going forward is, does that old way still work in this new era of college football where players do have a little more empowerment and can transfer and not necessarily, I mean, they're not penalized that initial transfer. Oklahoma State's going to have to adapt. And again, there's still eight games left in the season. 
they could turn things around and figure things out. But, you know, it just it, – it looked like a team that was almost playing its last game of the season at times on Saturday just based on the energy of that sideline and other things too. You're absolutely right. And it's not just Gundy who's not succeeding in this new era. You even look at a team like Clemson who – always recruits very well but it seems like the only time they use the transfer portal is to get players that they don't like out of their program and they don't ever refill those positions and you're kind of starting to see that program wear down obviously oklahoma state doesn't have that same kind of success you know recruiting wise but and so you're seeing them deteriorate a little bit quicker but you're absolutely right i mean two years ago after they beat caleb williams and sent lincoln riley to to the west coast after that win yeah. against bet and uh, and bedlam you know just uh literally a few inches away from winning that big 12 championship game and maybe even making the playoff seeing how the the putting pressure on the committee to to pick you know one or two loss uh, big 12 team over cincinnati Mm-hmm. And then just to, to see how quickly it's devolved. And again, I, I, like we've talked about, it's not that they are necessarily doing anything wrong or doing anything even any differently than they've always done, but the whole game has just evolved so much quicker than they've been able to keep up with. And you're seeing that really fall apart now. But as you said, I mean, this year they were, this time last year, they had their eyes on another Big 12 title appearance. And now you're really searching for wins. You can't pick up a win against South mm-hmm. Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, circle Iowa State as a winnable game, and you can't can't come up with that. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's a. It, I, I'd imagine it's a very uh, nerve wracking time in Stillwater. Yeah, because in this era, especially the NIL era, if you get behind, boy, is it tough to play catch up. It really is. This is a you got to catch lightning in a bottle era, whether you like it or not. Those old school, uh, you know, the old days of all right, we're gonna hire a new coach, we're gonna give them three, four, five years to rebuild the program. We can accept a couple losing seasons to start the year. Outside of maybe the really bad schools or historically bad schools, that is just not an option anymore. Uh, that lightning in a bottle is almost, people almost demand it uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And um, it's amazing as a football coach, everybody knows that you could be the toast of a town real quickly, or you could be the most hated guy in, a, in that town fast as well. And Coach Gundy is a legend. He's done so much for that program. And they're going to always appreciate that. And this is not even close to being the end for him. He's going to try to find a way out. But, boy, really the first time in this era under him, it just feels like the sky's falling a little bit on Oklahoma State. And that's tough to see because it has been just a great program the last 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I'd even argue that out of all the Big 12 coaches, his seat might be the hottest as of right now. But kind of lo- lo- looking around the conference, somebody who I thought had the the title as the of the hottest <laughs> seat in the Big Twelve, Neil Brown, he's got the Mountaineers three and one. Watch yeah. out! Yeah, I, John, I, John John Denver's going crazy right now. I mean, uh, yeah, it's almost heaven uh, in West Virginia. Is uh, great win for them. I mean, you know, Texas Tech they lose. Uh, you know, Shaw in the first quarter, huge loss, and boy, they just looked horrible once they lost him offensively. West Virginia, I'm not really sure they have much of a quarterback play, but they were able to do enough on the ground. And, you know, their defense did some really good stuff. Uh, got a bunch of tackles for loss. Really was able to limit the damage against uh, Texas Tech. And, you know, for Beer and Morton, the backup, not good numbers, Brandon. 13 for 37 for 158. Uh, did get the touchdown, but not good numbers, so... You know, West Virginia, I don't know if this is exactly an upper-tier team in the conference right now, but there is some life right now, at least in Morgantown, and they're fighting week in, week out. And if you told me before the season that they'd be 3-1 and one right now, I, mean, I would not have believed it. So give them a lot of credit that they're here right now. And I think when we talk about coaches and their impact in the locker room, I think where you really start to see, you know, deterioration quickly with the program is when – yeah, you throw a team out there and they're not they're not dialed in. They're not scrappy. They're not competing out there against teams that maybe they 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 should be at least competing with. And, and I haven't seen any of that from West Virginia. They have been really scrappy, even against Penn State, where they're outmatched pretty heavily in the talent department. And Drew Aller, five star guy, getting his you know his um, coronation as the, the the man in Penn State. Now they're mm-hmm. extremely talented. Uh, running back duo what they do on the offensive and defensive lines 
they 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 were scrappy. They, yeah. You know, it, the, the score may not have indicated that, but it wasn't an easy, you know, 38-17 game as, you know, the box score might, might indicate. And then you, you play your rival, the backyard brawl in Pittsburgh. We even had that game circled like, hey, even if the season doesn't go very well, you get you win a lot of points in in your inner region just by winning a game like this. Um, and they went out and did just that. Wasn't an easy game, but very gritty performance. And then same kind of thing here. I mean, Texas Tech losing their quarterback and obviously not finding too much of a, of a footing through the passing game, but just being able to, to scrap in there. And they came through and even mm-hmm. Texas Tech, it looks like they had a little bit of a comeback towards the end in the fourth quarter, but you know, no panic with this West Virginia team. And I think that's a very good sign for coaching, whether or not, you know, you get the Jimmy's and the Joe's in there, like, uh, like they say, as far as recruiting goes in the transfer portal, but I'm seeing a lot of good things. If, if I'm in Neil Brown's camp. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, Texas tech closes that game to three points early in the fourth quarter. You're thinking, okay, they're going to find a way to get it done, but West Virginia goes right back. They get a touchdown drive and old, able to hold off the red Raiders at the end. So a gutsy win for them. I don't know, you know, because it kind of almost felt dead set that this is Coach Brown, barring a miracle, this could be his last season in Morgantown. And now you're thinking, you know, if this team can find a way to reach a bowl game, I mean, they're going to be faced with a tough decision. And I think he can find a way to buy himself a little more time there. You give them a lot of credit. For Texas Tech, man, uh, what a disappointing start to this season uh, to go one and three to begin the year. Um, I think a couple losses no one saw with Wyoming in week one and even West Virginia this week. Um, you know, just disappointing for them. And I mean, you can't control injuries to key guys. Um, but, you know, outside of, you know, Brooks at the running back position, they just did not do anything special. They really struggled in the defensive end and getting to the quarterback. Only one sack on the day. Did get a couple of interceptions, but the offense couldn't take advantage of that. So, you know, for Texas Tech, after such a great year, uh, year one for Coach McGuire, this has to, you know, kind of be a gut punch for sure uh, to start the year. Talking about momentum and how important it is, it really felt like Texas Tech was really set up to, you know, build on some momentum. They came together really well late last year, picked up a win against Texas, which always buys you a, a lot of points in that part of the state. Mm-hmm. But man, it feels like they just can't. And it's, you know, like you said, a lot of it's injuries, um, weird game in, in, in Wyoming. Um, that's not an easy game going on the road at night, weathered problems, but man, you're looking at down the barrel of a one and three record with now you're on your backup quarterback and things don't exactly get easy for, for Texas tech here. I mean, mm-hmm. they have a couple of winnable games coming up with, with Houston and Baylor, but then Kansas state going on the road to BYU. And then you play TCU, Kansas, which are could very well be ranked teams at that time. And then you wrap up the season with Texas. You're really looking like we uh, you have to really get on your, your horse here. If you're going to make it to a bowl game. Yeah, no, and I think there is still time to turn this season around. There's plenty of wins still on the board, and you know they're going to have to get healthy and they're going to have to find a way to grind out wins. I just don't know if they have the team to do it right now. Um, you know, if they look like the you know their one of their losses against Oregon, they competed extremely well. Uh, they were very competitive. They could have easily won that football game. They didn't. Um, so the talent's there, uh, but they're going to have to put it together. And, you know, like we just said with Oklahoma State, all those good vibes of even just a year ago or a few years ago, they get lost pretty quickly if you lose enough. And for Texas Tech and that program right now, they are feeling the effects of that. You're right. And, you know, I, I think the people inside the program are still very much bought in on the, the McGuire philosophy. And I, I think at the end of the day, they'll be fine. But it's just it's it's a tough spot to be in um, a team who I think is also bounced back pretty well. Like like Texas Tech is going to to look to do here is TCU. Yes. You know, SMU come into town, um, Iron Skillet. There's a lot of bad blood there. Um, and, you know, especially with uh, SMU getting the. The, uh, the parody invite to the ACC there probably feeling themselves and TCU's defense, I, I think played another good game. 
um, a lot of bend, don't break. Um, and then just capitalizing on opportunities, capitalizing on turnovers. And that's, you know, if you have a team that can do that and to kind of make hay while the sun's out as far as creating opportunities for extra possessions, that's going to go a long way. And we saw it, you know, pay off in dividends last year with all the one score games that they won. Mm-hmm. But that's how you win those games is you, you know, end a scoring drive prematurely. Yep. Take the ball away, capitalize on it, you know, take advantage of, of opportunities that, that you have. And I think this was a, a very prime example of that. Only a three point game, four point game going into the halftime break, and then outscoring them 20 to seven to, to kind of run away with it at the end. Huge win for, for TCU. Um, and a game that looked like SMU might, you know, kind of hang around with. But another great day from Chandler Morris. Another very efficient day, I should say, 265 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, and then the, the running game is, has been pretty good, and that's exactly mm-hmm. the, the formula for TCU is if you can have product, productive um, backs like Amani Bailey had over 120 yards and a touchdown, then you can allow Chad Morris to to really kind of settle in and take what, what the defense has given him. He doesn't have to force the ball down the field. Um, and I'll also say this about Chandler Morris – He's got a lot of Baker Mayfield to him. Obviously, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what the ceiling's there, not having you know Lincoln Riley running the show. But, man, just the, the way that he plays, it's just it, – it looks like the, the kind of guy that just goes out there and plays football, and it works out. You know, like, like Baker Mayfield is even shown in Tampa Bay. And maybe kind of like the same way that, you know, same reason why we all fell in love with Johnny Manziel is that you just go out there and you make plays, and that's what he does. You know, he doesn't do anything mm-hmm. particularly special – but he goes out there and makes plays. So I'm, I'm really excited about TCU going forward here. Well, the defense seems to have settled in a little bit as well. And I'm not saying they're seeing the type of QB play that they saw week one against Colorado, but, mm-hmm. you know, they are settling in there. And if their offense can keep rolling, Bailey is a really elusive running back. He is really creative. Uh, 12 different receivers get a catch on Saturday, which that was definitely neat for sure. So it seems that this team – um, after a tough week one, everybody's thinking maybe last season, uh, maybe it is a fluke. And, you know, and there are those pundits who are going to run with that stupid narrative. But they've come in, they put together three really solid weeks of football. They're able to start the Big 12 season with a 2-0 and start. And it seems they're kind of fine, or excuse me, a 1-0 start. They win their skillet against their rival this week. So give them credit. A um, lot of season to go, but TCU settled in and they're placing themselves to put together a re- another really nice season. And, and we've talked about this before narratives get written so early in the season and that once they're kind of written, they're really hard to, mm-hmm. to kind of work their way back from. And I remember when, when Colorado beat them, a lot of the narrative was, well, yeah, of course you're playing a shell of a TCU team. You're playing their 2022 JV team pretty much. And while, you know, there there is some truth to that, they did lose a lot of talent. Mm -hmm. They really kind of settled down in in a way where if you lose as 20 point favorites at home in week one, the things can kind of unravel pretty quickly. But here's a stat for you. They gave up 45 points against Colorado week one. They've given up 36 points since. Wow. 36 points since. And that's, and now granted that's against, uh, Nickel States and Houston and SMU. Yeah. So it's not, you know, barn burners, but really where they were exposed on national televisions, they've seemed to at least, you know, out, even just temporarily plugged up the holes in the sinking ship and settled in. And I think that's a very promising sign towards mm-hmm. what they're, that they're doing coaching wise um, and kind of buying into to what Sonny Dykes is selling and not necessarily giving too much weight to, to what's going on outside their doors. Yeah, I mean, if you're only giving up 12 a game the last three games, it's such a winning formula, and you're seeing that right there for TCU. they got to have the defense to win. Offensively, as you mentioned, Brandon Chandler Morris has put together some really, really nice starts. All four games, even week one against Colorado, offense was really sharp in general. So play within your system. Coach Sonny Dykes is doing a great job of – really helping TCU make that transition. That was a really interesting storyline last year. And it's got forgotten about quickly because they won so much, but you know, Gary Patterson has all those years at for TCU where, you know, they won a lot. He is the reason in that program under Andy Dalton that wins a Rose bowl game. 
they're the reason they're in the Big 12. I mean, that that team was major in terms of let's get this team from the Mountain West to this new era of the Big 12. Uh, and so give them credit. I mean, there was, you know, that last season their Coach Patterson didn't live up to TCU's normal expectations. And Coach Dykes has done such a nice job. Dallas-Fort Worth area is such a great area to recruit in, not just for them, but also for, you know, SMU and their charity status in the ACC. Uh, so, you know, give them, you know, they've done a great job and and you have to hand it to them. Yeah, I I don't think that a lot of people know what to think about when it comes to, to Sonny Dykes. Because if you just look, look back on what the narrative has been is, well, first of all, they, they lose the national championship game in the way that they did. So then you think, oh, well, maybe he's not, you know, as good of a coach as, as we gave him credit for, despite beating every team on a schedule. Um, and then the year before, kind of as that season was unfolding, looking back on that, you think, well, he all talent. He also had a lot of NFL players. Max Duggan was a Heisman runner-up. Quentin Johnson's a, a high pick for, for, for the Chargers. Keandre Miller is another good pick. You know, uh, they have a couple good offensive linemen playing in, in the NFL now. You know, a lot of talent there. But then you also look, well, the year before he got there, they won three conference games, finished four and three total and or four and three at home five and seven total and you know we're, that the roster had the same talent so, you know he didn't overhaul yeah. the, the roster like coach prime did so there's uh, there's a lot of people just don't know what to think of sunny dykes and i'll say this i just think he's a really good football coach and like you said dfw is a huge um recruiting area he also has a couple of years coaching at smu before tcu so he's very familiar with with, with how things are done down here and has great relationships with coaches. And I think he's going to be successful um, at TCU, which even the hiring of Sonny Dyke and getting rid of, of Gary Patterson, who did so much for, for the football program, transitioning them from Mountain West to, you know, Big 12, you know, contenders. There was a lot of pushback there as far as, mm -hmm. oh, I, I see what programs like Nebraska look like when you fire, you know, good, not great coaches. And can't get the, the right replacement, but they, they they really nailed it with Sonny Dykes, and I think that they're it, it, it's showing just how well coached that team is. For sure, it's going to be exciting to see what they can do, especially as we transition into the month of October. Big month for sure. Uh, lots of great stuff going on this week as well. We'll kind of run through the, the, these other games here, um, but it's another one that you know I, I talked about pretty uh, aggressively last week baylor and uh <laughs> texas i you know i i, I got to say i i got to buy into texas now cuz i was real high like hey, it's a night game it's a blackout I know. baylor they're they're desperate they're hungry they need this win texas you know coming in cruising haven't shown too many kinks in the armor and none of that mattered it, it was 38 to 6 uh and it didn't even feel that close. It, it was such a shellacking. It was that was, boy, that was a it was a rough take. It, I really thought Baylor. Yeah, I was with you, Brandon. I bought into the all. Oh, it's going to be weird in Waco, and uh, we're going to have a competitive football game. And you know, give Texas credit. There was no ifs, ands, or buts of how this game was going to be decided. It was all Texas from the first play. Their defense is tough. They've really got some talent on that side of the football. Um, and you know, like Baylor, their rushing attack hasn't been great this year. But as a team, they only had 60 rushing yards. I mean, 1.9 yards per carry. Uh, I mean, just brutal. Texas was able to get five sacks. They got eight tackles for loss. They have got some dudes on that defensive side of the football. And, all, and the offense, of course, that's what gets all the headlines. They have... Brooks at running back. Ewers is continuing to do solid stuff, stuff at the QB play. That defense is really, really tough. And, you know, again, that narrative of is Texas blank. Look, they are showing week in and week out they're going to be a, seem to be a force to be reckoned with. And they've got a little bit of work this week. We'll talk about OU in just a little bit and their win over Cincinnati. But, look, those two are on a collision course in a couple of weeks in – in Dallas, and that is going to be a potentially wild cotton bowl because both teams are full speed ahead right now, and it looks like they're on a collision course. Yeah, you said it. I mean, it. You know, we'll, we'll, we can't figure out if Texas is back until you know December and January here, but they're passing all the tests. They, you know, they don't slip up in the non-conference late. They beat Alabama on the road. They, you know, take care of business. You know, getting the conference underway with, with Baylor on the road. 
they, you know, they're passing all the tests. And like you said, uh, we, we kind of expected their offense to to put up fireworks like they have returning 10 starters, including, you know, Quinn, uh, Quinn Ewers, the entire offensive line, entire receiving course back. Uh, but the defense, they've played really solid. And, and it doesn't seem like they, they have the, the quite quite like the star power that their offense does. But, man, they they play as such a good cohesive unit that it's, it's smothering. Yeah, well, and you know they get that confidence wielding, winning or win back in week two against Texas, or excuse me, against Alabama, and I think that's done wonders for this team's confidence. I mean, they are genuinely playing confident football right now. Now, there's still a lot of season. There have been years in the last decade plus that Texas got off to a good start and hit a couple rough patches in between, so still a lot of work between there, but it seems like all the stars – are lining up for this program right now. It's early in Baylor. You know, Baylor, it's been a tough season so far. Very similar to Oklahoma State where we were talking about earlier in the show that, you know, I felt Oklahoma State was in a great position a couple of years ago to really be that premier team in the conference. Baylor was in my top three. I mean, Coach Arnado was doing a, you know, a phenomenal job in 2021. They win the conference. I still think he's a good football coach. Baylor, um, has done a lot, uh, a lot of covering up the last decade to kind of put themselves in difficult positions. But I mean, they've been able to fight through them. But you know, Saturday, just a really, really disappointing performance for a team that's one in three right now, and they're only wins against Long Island University. So a lot of work ahead for the Bears, and I don't know if they're going to turn it around or not. That's a good Texas team. No shame in losing, but. I don't care. Losing on a primetime game by 32 at home, that's never going to taste good. Yeah, and I mean, as the you know, as somebody who's seen how uh, how uh, Baylor fans uh, th- consider the uh, the Matt Rule hire at Nebraska, um, I am perfectly okay with with ruling uh, Dave Aranda's success early on as um, just carrying the, the the torch that Matt Rule lit. Um, we'll see how that plays out. I definitely don't think he got dealt a, a good deck of cards this year by any means, but uh, another, like you said, the, the team that they'll be squaring up against head to head prime slots here, that a big noon kickoff slot with Oklahoma. They, I'm really surprised with how well they've turned things around um, compared to last year. Dylan Gabriel has been, been awesome. And then now we're starting to see that Brent Venables defense they held Cincinnati yeah. to six points. That's no easy task on the road. Um, offense didn't light up the, the scoreboard, but when you have a defense this solid, you don't have to. You just have to go out there, make the right play, keep the other offense off the mm-hmm. field, give the defense some breathers, and you know, walk home with the win. You know, for OU, it was a defensive clinic on Saturday, and, and there are better offenses in the conference in Cincinnati, but they had shown the ability to put some fireworks up at times as well. And discipline's the right word when it comes to Coach Brent Venables. This is a program that is extremely good in that regard. What's interesting about OU, and I'll throw Texas in there too, their fan bases, when they made that announcement to go to the SEC, there has been so much nervousness and scared, like, we're not ready. There's no way we're going to compete in that conference. There's just, we're going to get killed. And there's a lot of season to go next year. We'll tell the story initially, but these teams are ready to go into that conference. If they're looking to like face off, I mean, for Texas to beat Alabama and for OU to start the way they are, this OU team is tough defensively this year. And you're dead right. Brandon Dylan Gabriel was not a good QB last year, really disappointing his first year at Oklahoma, especially what, you know, Caleb Williams is doing winning a Heisman out at USC who was their QB the year before, but he seems to have really settled in. They're 4-0. They've really put themselves in a nice shape uh, going into this upcoming next few weeks. Yeah, and I mean, when you look at how these teams are built, um, you know, Oklahoma defensive heavy may not fit the, the powerhouse offenses that you know, the SEC is accustomed to. Um, it'll be refreshing to see a team who actually plays defense in that conference. So, I mean, I would say that, you know, if if, if you were to put Oklahoma in the, the SEC today, I don't know, Georgia, Georgia's a different piece. Mm-hmm. Other than Georgia, I don't know if you have a defense better than Oklahoma's right now. No, I fully agree. Their defense is just – and I'm not surprised. And that was something that they really struggled 
in the Lincoln Riley era. They could never find a defense. Uh, their offense, all the quarterbacks that went through that program, when you look at Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts, Caleb Williams in that final year too. And for them to not, I mean, they made the college football playoff a couple of times. That's an outstanding accomplishment. But outside of that Georgia game, that Baker Mayfield year, they were never competitive. They were always overwhelmed defensively. Joe Burrow, we witnessed a live murder on national television in that semifinal game. So their defense, you know, it takes time to build a system. Coach Venables, they weren't able to establish it perfectly last year, but it seems they definitely seem to have a better base this year. It's paying off to a good start in Norman. Yeah, and like I said, it'll just be a change of pace uh, seeing an SEC team who can play defense. You know, as much as I love the, the 52-49 shootouts that Alabama and Tennessee got into last year, and, you know, the Tennessee-Alabama uh, game that put up close to 100 points, you know, I, I love me some good offense, but it, it will be refreshing to see a, a defensive team in the big in the SEC for once. Um, and just kind of skimming through the, the rest of these games here, uh, good week for, for the Big 12. Uh, Houston picked up their first uh, or picked up a win against Sam Houston. Uh, finally found some some momentum there. So hopefully they, they continue that. Um, West Virginia, we already talked about them. Um, Kansas State pulling out kind of a, a tricky one against UCF. Yeah. Um, Will Howard obviously banged up, but UCF came into to Manhattan to play. Um, and then Kansas State pulled away late, but I'm, I'm really impressed with, with both of those teams. I feel yeah, that's you know, that, that was my upset special right there. Mm -hmm. I thought Central Florida had a chance, and, and they did play a quality football game. Uh, it was a four-point game at halftime, but K-State was terrific. They were really able to move the ball well, over 500 yards of total offense. And Howard, look, battled throughout the game, but DJ Giddens, my gosh, 207 yards rushing, four touchdowns. That's always going to be usually a winning yeah, that formula. That's that's just not a losing formula. And the defense was also able to get into the backfield of eight tackles for loss. So K-State, give them credit after a heavily, heavily disappointing loss to a now-ranked uh, Mizzou team uh, to come back in, beat, I think, a actually quality Central Florida team. And I still have think that Knights are going to do some decent stuff this in their first season, the Big 12, but a really nice win for them and kind of a bounce-back win uh, at home. Yeah, uh, great spot. And you kind of wonder how these teams are, are going to, you know, kind of acclimate to the to the Big 12 and Power 5 football. And I think UCF showed right away that, you know, hey, we've been playing at this level for, for a little while now. So we're, we're not going to get caught off guard here. And, you know, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the uh, defending Big 12 champs, a team who's looking to get back to Arlington again this year. Great stuff out of them. And then lastly, I, and one of the more competitive games in the Big 12 here, Kansas and BYU. Um, kind of, uh, you know, like I said, BYU also in that boat where they want to figure out how to, uh, if they're going to be able to compete it in the in the power five, they were leading in halftime on the road against yeah. Kansas. Now they, they eventually kind of pulled away late one by double digits, but I'm still pretty impressed with, with BYU. Um, and especially after seeing how Arkansas competed against LSU on Saturday yeah. night as well, maybe that win looking a little bit better than, than it did even as, as it was unfolding BYU is going to be able to compete at this level too. Yeah. Give BYU a lot of credit. I mean, to go back to back weeks against, Arkansas, usually a competitive team at home, and then uh, an upstart Kansas team. They played a really good football game. Uh, they just had no rushing attack whatsoever. And that's a lot you know, to do with Kansas defense. Give them some credit. They were in the backfield all day long. They were able to take advantage of that. Had some big explosive plays in the second half. The rushing game was absolutely terrific. Jalen Daniels, three touchdown passes. And look, I felt kind of nutty. Uh, whatever podcast, couple podcasts go putting Kansas as a dark horse for a big 12 championship game. And I still think it's a little bit nutty, but give them credit. This is a really, really uh, competitive and difficult Kansas team. And this is no longer a pencil in win like it was for so many years in the big 12. That, that era is officially done. Lawrence had a sold out stadium on Saturday and that's something I'm just not used to seeing. Good win for them. And the you know, state of Kansas has some competitive football right now. Uh, definitely some offense in the state of Kansas. Maybe the state of Iowa, uh, you know, Iowa State at least had offense this weekend. I don't know about the team out east. Uh, I don't know 
uh, how that went. Uh, so, but oh, they, they got some exactly offense in Kansas. Yeah, I know, I know too. Um, so, you know, a Brian Ferentz, he can get a lifetime contract for me. But, yeah. but that's yeah. just, you know, like kudos, kudos to Kansas for just really a workman like win and continuing to take care of business. Uh, curious how they'll look on the road, especially with a big game this week. And we'll discuss that in the future, but um, give them credit. And they have a chance to shock the world potentially this week too. Regardless, Big 12 football is back and we're here for it. Uh, you're listening to go big 12 or go home. And any final thoughts on, on week four for the big 12? Pretty fun week. A lot of, you know, I mean, big 12, I feel like it's always, known as kind of a fun mix of you have some big offensive teams, you have some really good defensive teams. Hopefully you're balanced along the middle. Uh, but this was a week of really some strong offensive performances across the board. And I think the teams, those two Kansas teams really were able to do some solid stuff this week for me. Uh, but, you know, tip my hat to where it's due. I mean, give, um, you know, Texas a lot of credit. They're really going right now. So is Oklahoma. Um and, you know, I think two head scratchers right now are Oklahoma State and Baylor. I don't know what's going on. I'll even throw Texas Tech in there. I mean, these were, I think, in the preseason rankings, definitely all three were in the upper half of expectations in terms of where they'll finish. And all three look pretty lost in some ways right now. So a lot of questions for those three teams. But, hey, plenty of season to go. Oh, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, later on this week, we'll, we'll do our predictions for week five. Uh, small slates. Um, that's to spoil too much about how we did last week. A lot more wins in, than, than losses in the, in the column. I'll tell you that, Drew Russell. Oh, man. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm, I'm seeing too many L's. Uh, my wallet is as well. So. <laughs> it's a tough slate, but but I think we've got some, some winners coming up this week, so dial in there. More stuff on the Corners for Connection Network. Now we're able to put out content every single day. Outstanding stuff going on here on the network. So we'll wrap it up. We'll, we'll see you later.